0: places together. A place where stories are shared. Stories about life before us. Stories about what happens between us and stories that have yet to bloom. Here we believe that our stories are connected to one another and rooted in God's radical love for diverse creation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. Here is a story for you, a story called Through the Water, Through the Fire. Today at All Places Together, we welcome Pastor Drew Tucker. Drew is the chaplain of Capitol University in Columbus, Ohio, and Trinity Seminary. He also teaches at both institutions. He teaches youth and young adult ministries as well as ethics. Drew is the author of the forthcoming book, Exploring Your Purpose, Practices to Activating Your Vocations. Drew is also working on a doctor of ministry at Lexington Theological Seminary in Kentucky. Drew also loves to be by the water. He says any type of water, beach, pool, or even a puddle. He also loves cooking, even if it takes hours, like smoking a brisket. Thank you, Drew, for being with us here today at All Places Together. It's great to have you.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about the ministry that you're doing in this way. And talk about a a timely space to develop this ministry in the last year and a half. What a, what a, it's like God's involved or something, right? Totally. Jesus is showing up.
0: It's wild, doing like a new and unpredictable thing.
1: (laughs) See, I am about to do a new thing. Weird. weird.
0: My bishop in my first in Indiana, Kentucky, said that, like, literally all the time, and uh, he was right.
1: He happens to be on the board of Capitol now, and so I have heard him say that a few times since he joined.
0: Well, shout out to Bishop (laughs) Bill Guffian, then, just bringing new things all over the place.
1: That's right. This was totally unscripted, Bishop Guffian. Thanks.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love it. We'll have to send it to him to be sure he listens. <laughs> oh, Drew, well, tell us where you call home and what makes it special.
1: So this is a really interesting question for me because I grew up in Northeast Ohio. And so when I think about home, sometimes that's the first image that pops into my brain. Sometimes when I think about home, I think about the physical structure in which I live right now. But the feeling of home, this kind of of spiritual essence of I belong here, hits me at a couple of places that I think communicate something of ancestry and something of the present value of places in my life. Uh, and so, one of those places is when you're driving south on I seventy-seven from Virginia into North Carolina. And you can look off to the left and see Pilot Mountain.
0: I was just going to say, oh, where Pilot Mountain is.
1: Exactly. Right? Um, I never lived in Western North Carolina, but having did my NDIV at Duke and served in campus ministry at Duke and have friends, family who live in the area still, I get this. I have no other way to describe it other than spiritual, calm, almost comfort of coming down into that place and feeling at home, feeling like this is where I belong, which is funny because I live back in Columbus, Ohio. Now that's where Capitol and Trinity are. And we are actively looking right now for a, you know, a little bit of land to be our forever home. But I don't get that feeling necessarily when I see the Columbus skyline. The only other places where I get that kind of feeling a lot of my ancestry is uh, Irish, and so one of the places where I've also felt that is visiting Ireland. And again, as, as we talked about before, I love the water. And driving down from the Irish Highlands into the Bay, uh, that's another space where I just get this clear sense of I've never been here before, but I feel so deeply at home. I feel so deeply connected to something here that I can't explain or describe, but it's home in a way that I never would have thought until I was in that place.
0: That's amazing. Have you been back to Ireland? Is that a place you've gone more than once?
1: I've been twice and, and it hit that way right and that's the thing that's been surprising for me is every time I drive you know it's been a few years since I've driven on 77 at this point down in to North Carolina from Virginia but every time that happens I get that feeling and both times I've had that experience in Ireland I got that feeling it's just that it's something of I I am not uh, theologically Pentecostal but experientially I'm a little bit Pentecostal and there are some reasons for that historically but one of the ways that i feel the spirit alive and at work is i get this like physical sensation that feels like the chills or goosebumps but there's no like when i look at my skin there's all there's no physical reaction right like it, it feels like it's my nervous system but contained inside my body rather than outside and so, oh, that's so it's that kind of feeling connected to place rather than connected to prayer or worship or that kind of thing
0: sure is there a particular place on your on your body or within your body that you feel like that goosebump sensation come from
1: starts at the nape of my neck okay and goes out to my limbs like it's just such a an odd and wonderful thing, but having talked to other people who in Pentecostal traditions, whether more conservative or liberal uh, the there's a kind of appreciation for not that specific feeling but a, a kind of bodily manifestation of of a presence, right? And that's the thing that's that I have retained maybe more than anything else from my time amongst the the vineyard folks back in college.
0: Sure. Is there a name for that experience?
1: If there is one, I'm not quite sure what it is. I I don't have one. I I and I don't recall a single name for that, right? It it Okay. The the closest thing I can describe it's or the closest way that I can kind of envision it is that sense of of liminal space that we've talked about in the church right like where I belong here there's something right about this and also it's very different and very new and it's not it's not simply describable or explicable and that's the kind of thing that that makes it feel both at home but also abnormal right so it's not I don't get that feeling when I walk into my house or even when I go back to my childhood home, that's not the same kind of home that I really think about.
0: This is fascinating. So if you are someone who comes from a Pentecostal tradition and you have a singular word for this experience that Drew is sharing, like, let us know. We uh, would be happy to learn and expand. Teach yeah, teach us, right? <laughs> oh, thanks for sharing that, Drew. So we've kind of started to edge into your quest- this question already, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not sure what you were wanting to share today. So let me ask, where is one of your favorite places?
1: So all of those places that I've mentioned very close to my heart, but my favorite place, I'm actually in my favorite place right now. Um, it's my family has a little bit of Property On a small lake in Holmes County, Ohio. So it's one of the last Appalachian counties in Ohio. And we've had it since I was seven years old. It's called Lake Buckhorn. And we have a couple of houses. My uncle has a house right next to ours. And so we'll see cousins and we share boats and we have this wonderful kind of Sabbath space built in for if we need to get away we can do that kind of thing and so we have a privilege and a gift to know what it's like to get away and know what it's like to not have to work but still enjoy work right so yesterday in the midst of working remotely I was also burning out a stump that we uh, had a tree come down and so I've been slowly burning it just rather than trying to get a stump grinder down at the edge of the lake Right? And it's work and it's hot and it's sweaty, but it's joy to be a part of this place and to get the ground back in to harmony with itself. Right. And so being a part of a space where that can be a part of our life. And, you know, as I said, I like to cook. So there's not a, a, uh, there is a smoker here, but it's uh, currently in storage. So the grill is out here. And so, you know, I made some hot Hungarian sausage yesterday because that was what I found in the freezer when I opened it up. but yeah, I love it because for the most part it's really serene. So I got up on our paddleboard yesterday and paddled around the lake and there was one other boat out there and they weren't skiing or tubing, they were just swimming and fishing and so it was, you know, flat and glassy and gorgeous. Um and it's a place where I did a lot of writing for Some other projects that I've had and so I've been doing a lot of my book writing here and it feels like a good space to do that that's both comfortable but also inspiring. I don't feel like I need to – like there's a lot of dishes currently sitting and waiting for my attention because they'll get done eventually but I don't need to do them today. Um, I don't need to vacuum today. I don't need – there's not that sense of this is my house all the time. I have to make it that way. It's somewhere else and it's a place apart. And that's just, it's, that's why it's one of my favorite places.
0: That's wonderful. So I'm curious about the name of the lake. Is it connected to? Buckeyes, and I don't know what Buckeyes are, other than the mascot of one of the Ohio universities. That I will guess which one and say it wrong, and the peanut butter chocolate cookie. So is there like Ohio uh, history in that?
1: I I wish I could tell you that it was something significant or connected to our state nut, which is the Buckeye. Uh, Buckeyes, by the way, are poisonous, but only to horses. I found out, or to other kinds of animals. Yeah, so Buckeye, so not the plant Buckeye is poisonous. The cookie, delicious, not poisonous. Um, Lake Buckhorn is called Lake Buckhorn because when you look at it from an aerial view, it looks like an antler or a buck's horn. So that's why it's called Lake Buckhorn. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And Very there are cool. deer all over, but it's that there. there's no real deep tie. It's just, oh, look, it looks like this thing. That's the end of our naming process.
0: I love it. That's a great way to name a thing like buckhorn. Right. Is there a favorite place within the house that you like to write from or is it just anywhere?
1: My favorite place to write from is actually the dock. I love to be writing like right at the water where I can be like yesterday I was working on a grant process for the university and I was sitting on the dock and I was writing some content for that and got to a stopping point and jumped in the water and swam a minute, got back out and then kept writing, right? I love that proximity to the place. And I love even more, we just built a new dock. The old one was, I mean, literally falling apart, so it was time. Um, And we put a covered portion on it, and so now, like a couple of weeks ago, I was down here writing, maybe a couple of months ago at this point, and I had my computer down there, and it started pouring, and it used to be that I'd have to, you know, hustle back up to the house and get out of the rain, And instead it just rained all around me and I could keep writing there in the middle of the space. And that was such an unexpected joy to have that, that kind of serenity in the midst of the storm, which was really a a great gift.
0: As you're describing that, I was reminded of the dining hall porch at Lutherland, which was my Mm. favorite place that I shared about, gosh, now several months ago. And and it's a has a deep roof on it so you can sit on the porch and watch the rain. And I, too, have had times when I've been writing there or having those deep conversations with people. And just to be in the storm but know that you're safe, there's something really powerful about that.
1: It really is. You know, it obviously as We keep talking about storms. You know, part of it is I'm brought to the different storms in Scripture. You know, one of them, Jesus calming the storm. That story is really kind of fascinating because – the only one that's calm is Jesus. Everyone else is freaking out. Right. Understandably so, right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm not really sure that's the best resonance, but I also think it's, a, it's part of the value of the story is that there is something to fear about storms, but there's also mm-hmm. something of possible or potential protection or safety or value that we can't see when we're so caught up in the fear of one thing about the storm. Um, you know, I... We've been planting grass at my actual house, not the place I called home. Um, and, you know, like I was praying for some storms so I wouldn't have to keep water in the darn stuff. Like I don't right. want to pay for the water. I want it to come from the sky, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that did not come. Um, the, the realities of the wildfires that continue to go on out west right now. I mean, how much are people praying for storms when you look at drought maps for the next 50 years? I keep telling my family right now the best thing we can do is not let go of any land in the midwest or the great lakes because mm-hmm. the next 50 years the even the south where we think about having you know the piedmont right in north carolina and virginia right there's some danger there in thinking about what that's going to look like in the next few decades and so the the value of storms even as they're also scary and potentially destructive and they really do reshape the environment That's a thing that if you can have a roof that protects you from it and experience it, it changes perspective on how a storm really affects your life.
0: Definitely. So that's one way that God has been with you, it sounds like, in this place, in your family Mm -hmm. house there Mm -hmm. on Lake Buckhorn. Are there other ways that God has been with you and your family there?
1: Absolutely. This is a place where... My brother, who is a colonel in the Special Forces, um, basically only see him once a year or so, but it's here over the 4th every year, 4th of July. Um, So Matt and his wife Michelle and their kids, Ben and Charlie, come up and we spend a week together that is definitely different than when we would do that when we were kids, but it's a time where we get to be a bit more like family used to be which is nice it's definitely not that because he's 45 and i'm 36 and you know <laughs> we're no longer clamoring for boat time or attention or whatever but yeah that just the again that kind of harbor that we come to that that place of this is where we're going to spend time in this moment um and also I've talked about burning a stump. The other thing that is really great here. My dad is one of those people that he loves fire. I also love fire. Um, not yeah. like pyromaniac love fire anymore, at least, but I really love being by fire, um, having times to just sit and talk. And the, the legacy of this place is I've had, probably more hours of uninterrupted conversation with my dad here mm. than anywhere else. Um, around the fire pit on our dock. But really, Dad loves to go out, have a fire ready, start it after dinner. He'll smoke a cigar. I will maybe smoke a cigar once every six months. I'm like, oh, this sounds good and then I think about it, I'm like, no, I don't it makes my teeth feel fuzzy. Why don't I want that? Um <laughs> but it's a thing. Yeah. Uh and we'll drink, you know, a bourbon and just talk about things that are on his mind, things that are on my mind and the I think the way that I learned to be a preacher was conversationally talking to my dad, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we learned in preaching class and we learned in in lots of different books and texts and listening to other people, but the that primary mode of communication here so long around that fire is something that I found really really formative
0: two things that kind of hopped into my mind as you were sharing this the first you called the place a harbor Mm -hmm. and that's interesting because I did you mean that kind of both literally and metaphorically because you have a I guess I don't know the true distinction between like a harbor and a dock per se, but it's like on the water, there's boats, but then also this idea of it being a safe haven.
1: Right. So, so yeah, a, a, a dock is usually in a harbor, right? Like, so so this is a place where you would tie up your boat, but it's a safer spot. And oddly enough, I didn't even think about this when I said it, but you can cut that out. This was very intentional. Uh, <laughs> Leave it in. <laughs> um, the we are on a part of the lake that's called a no wake zone, and so boats can't go fast out here. They can only go, you know, three to five miles an hour, and so it really is a harbor because you aren't, you don't have jet skis zooming past here. You don't have people tubing or wakeboarding or whatever right there, um, and so we have a lot more calm water in this end of the lake than even just a few hundred yards that way, which is where the main ski zone is and where you know we'll be whipping around with tubes at 25 or 30 miles an hour and you know giving my brother a concussion which accidentally happened this year. Um I wasn't driving fortunately. That that's another story for another time. But uh yeah, it really is a a kind of harbor that that is in the physical geography of the lake and perhaps because we are in that space this place has also been a harbor metaphorically for our family in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah, that's lovely. I love when the words have the double meaning like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really makes me think of Psalm 46, which I'm going to try to say from memory, but you are my okay. refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Which is actually what Martin Luther used to write A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which is a very right. beloved Lutheran hymn. Psalm, yeah, forty
1: six. It's funny. I think I have a love hate relationship with the Psalms, and I don't really hate them. That's that makes it sound way too strong. But it's really with David that I struggle, right? David, as, we all, as everyone a should struggle
0: with David a little bit. Let's be honest,
1: a thousand percent. Uh, but one of that one of the the issues with that of course is that David did not write all the psalms there are in fact a number of psalmists and so the other piece of that though is i took a great class on preaching the psalms at southern seminary and was really thankful for that and also had a class where we focused at when i was at duke div on the theology of the psalms for about 3 weeks and that was just really really wonderful but one of the things that i think the psalms do for us is give us permission to call on God and to hold God accountable to the promises that God's made us. And that's one of the things that, you know, this psalm that one that you bring up, I think, does well, is describe who God is or who God has promised to be, which is great. But then opens us up to the possibility of like, hey, what if it doesn't feel like God is being a refuge? Or what if we don't mm. feel some safety in our time of trouble, right? Uh, this is not in that psalm. That psalm's pretty much affirming or descriptive the whole time. But psalms before and after use that as a kind of springboard to say, "God, where where are you? Like this was your commitment, and I'm not feeling it. I'm holding you accountable to these promises. I know that you said you were going to do this. I'm waiting. Make it happen." And I think that's something that. I am a progressive and I am theologically trained. And also I think that's something that theological progressives often do terribly
0: mm-hmm. is we kind
1: of explain away that visceral relational aspect of faith, right? We're like, well, of, of course, you know, God doesn't necessarily make everything happen all the time. Okay, great. Got it, Bob. Thanks for your perspective. And also we are allowed to be pissed off. We're allowed to be emotional. Yes. We are allowed to have this, deep, visceral reaction, because if we believe God to be this, then God is also big enough to hear our dissatisfaction when we're not experiencing God that way.
0: Yes, that anger is so important. And I think a lot of times it can get invalidated or pushed down or talking about how anger is not healthy or useful or how it can be toxic. But I find anger to be actually very motivating and very energizing. I experience a lot of anger in my life. Um, I know people have mixed feelings about the Enneagram, but I'm totally an Enneagram one and Mm. resonate a lot for when the Hulk says, in in whichever Marvel movie it is, you know, how do you control yourself from not turning into the Hulk all the time, right? And he's like, well, I'm angry all the time. I am am one who's, like, low-key probably angry all the time. And so the Psalms give me such voice when it's like, yes, like, how long, oh, Lord, are, like, you said, let's show up, let's do this. So thank you for sharing that. I feel very affirmed.
1: Good. Good. You deserve it, as does Bruce Banner. So everyone, everyone gets it.
0: Yes. Yes. Right. Here's one for, yeah, Bruce Banner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, talking about anger, I think then also connects us back really well to what you were talking about with fire, because fire Mm -hmm. can also be an angry thing. Is there a particular biblical image or story about fire that really, you know, speaks to your experience with your dad? Because there's a lot Mm. of great stories about fire in the Bible, Moses in the burning bush, a pillar of fire by day, Um, the one where they're having in the Old Testament where Elijah and the other one, other person, prophet, are having the competition to see, like, who can set the burnt offering on fire first. You know, so, like, which, uh, which fire story relates to your time with your dad?
1: So I think I'm trying to make sure this is not just because Of veggie tales, but I really do think the one that comes to mind most is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is that let's do it? Time in the fiery furnace, right? It ends not because you know, not because time with my dad is being thrown into a fiery furnace for, for torture and capital punishment. Um, and if you're listening, dad, that is definitely not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is. It's the kind of accompaniment piece there, right? That, you know, Shadak, Mishak, and Abednego go through this experience and it's their accompaniment with God that brings them through the experience, right? It's Yeah. That fire itself is more refuge than intended destruction, but it is around that fire that we talk about all of the other fires, literal and metaphorical, in the world, right? So I yeah. can't tell you how many conversations we've had around that fire about politics or about uh, economics or about healthcare or about addictions in our family or about the reality that my grandfather, his dad... Suffered from Alzheimer's, and that that that's something that is likely down the road for both of us. And so Mm -hmm. there are these different conversations where it's the company in the fire that brings us through unscathed, right? That's the the kind of I think value that I see in that story and the connection that I see here. Because there's lots of other fire stories, right? There's it's all full of fire, but by which I mean scripture and not just life. But maybe both. Maybe both. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that that is the one that comes to mind.
0: For those who may not be able to quote the Veggie Tales songs on this story about the chocolate bunny and how much they love the bunny and how it's Rack Shack and Benny. Um, that's one of the few veggie Tale ones <laughs> I know to a T. Could you kind of walk us through what happens to these three guys and why they end up? in a fiery furnace?
1: Absolutely. So, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are three Israelites in exile and they are serving in the king's court and the king is called upon by his viziers or by his uh basically stewards to say, "Hey, we need to really get people under our control, so we're going to make a new idol of you." And we're going to have everyone bow down to it. So at the sound of the horn, and there's a lot of other instruments there, ziphyr and lyre and drum and cymbal and all sorts of different things, uh, everyone bows down and worships, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so because they do not follow the order of the king, even though he appreciates their service, he commits them to the fiery furnace as a punishment for their disobedience and there's this great line where he is interrogating them and he looks at them and he's asking them why they won't do it and they say effectively this is the the drew international version but they say dear king O king our god is able to save us from this but even if not we still will not bow down to you. And that is this radical commitment to faithfulness, to fidelity. And I just love that so deeply. So they're thrown in the fiery furnace where you would expect them to die. But then lo and behold, the king looks into the fire. Instead of three figures, there's four. And the the scripture says, and the fourth had the appearance of a god. The fourth had a divine appearance. And so there is this communication that God is walking with them in one way or another. And so they turn down the furnace. They're liberated. And everyone bows down to worship the God of Israel instead of the idol of the king. So that is that is the Drew International version of Shadrach and Benny.
0: I love it. And it's in Daniel, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the times I think about reading that story at least in adulthood the most is on the Easter Vigil which is the third part of a worship experience that leads from um Monday Thursday through Good Friday and then the Easter Vigil. It's a way of celebrating Easter that walks through what Jesus did with his disciples um, at the Last Supper. That's what we do on Monday, Thursday. And then Good Friday is, of course, when we commemorate the crucifixion of Jesus. And then on Easter Vigil, we gather to, to tell as many as, as 12 stories from the Hebrew scriptures. And what's really fascinating about that is that that night starts around a fire. You often ideally would start this worship service at sunset, outside, around a fire, kind of that which ties in love so beautifully with what you've been sharing about with your dad. Uh, And then one of these 12 stories from the Hebrew scriptures is this one from Daniel about the three going into the fiery furnace. And as you, whenever I hear it read, I mean, I always laugh because what you're saying about all of these musical instruments, like it, they list it out all of these times. Like it's it's a story that is meant to be read out loud and embodied and like you feel the drama build um, and all of that. But I've never thought about like the sitting around the fire and being in the fire and God coming into that as all of an experience of the Easter vigil. And and yeah, mm-hmm. and all of those other times that I've sat around, I'm a camp person, like being around the campfire with other people. That's a lot to ponder.
1: Yeah, yeah. I The other personal connection to that scripture for me is I was... Uh, appointed a class representative for my last year at Duke. And so as the representatives, we got to read our scriptures. And the scripture that was chosen was that reading from Daniel. And so I had to stand up in Duke Chapel in front of a thousand people and say all those instruments multiple times. And let me tell you, I got through it, but it was, I've preached in that building. It was more intimidating to read that scripture.
0: (laughs) I would say so.
1: It was intense. But yeah, it was it was that kind of transformative experience. And the I will say the other beauty of that, uh, the preacher for that baccalaureate service was Sam Wells. And Sam gave this sermon that still sticks with me, where he focused on this group of pastors and professors and deacons and nonprofit people. Leaving seminary and going into a difficult realm of work, faith related work in some way. And he focused on that, but even if not, peace, right? Like, Mm. like God is able to do this thing, but even if not, you are still called to serve. And that was something that was really convicting then. I think in a kind of youthful, like, yeah, we can do it. And now it's it's definitely lost the kind of cheerleader pom-pom feel. Uh, but there is still something, I think, reassuring about it, that there is a beauty to a long haul in this ministry. Not that it is easy, not that it is lucrative, not that it is always recognize not that victory as we define it is ever or always achievable, but that in the journey, in the processing, in the development, even when someone tries to throw us into a fiery furnace, there is something about faithfulness and something about commitment that is reassuring, even if it's not going to change the world in... Massive, obvious ways it can change our world in ways that are worth it.
0: Yes, well, and I think too expanding that to the Christian life in general, cert, you know, in whatever different vocations that you enter into in your daily living, in your family, in your career, in all of those different pieces. I think, the, I think the whole breadth of this conversation that we've had is so powerful. This idea of, yes, sometimes it's being thrown into the fiery furnace and it's really difficult and God is with you there. And then also thinking about what we talked about at the beginning with then within that rhythm of life, there's also this Sabbath time, that time to get away, to come out of the fire and into the water, perhaps, and... God caring for us there and being rejuvenated in that place to then be sent out again and kind of the, the throughout it all, like, even if, right, this doesn't end up the way we thought it was going to. And in life it hardly ever does. Right. There's always twists and turns, but even, even if, and even in those ways, like God is still there and God is with us as we go into the fire and God is with us as we Retreat into the water Uh as well, even if it's just for a minute in between your writing break, even if you're just Uh swimming for a minute and then jumping back (laughs) to your keyboard, though hopefully I assume you dry off so you don't fry your – well, that's assuming that you write on a computer and not on a pad and paper, but –
1: I do, yes, and and I do intentionally dry off before I'm like, let me get back to my MacBook. <laughs> yeah, it does not need baptized. Thank you very much. No, I said baptized, and I was just reminded. You know, there is a ritual in in that Easter vigil of having the Christ candle. And dipping it, so dipping the fire in the waters of the font. Oh, I've never done
0: that before.
1: Oh, it's super cool. It's super cool. Where you, as you're changing the year, you, or not changing the year, but as you're changing the candle, you dip the candle into the water of the font and then put it in its new holder as a sign of baptism of water and fire, right. Of the spirit that this is something that's, that's profound. You'll see it at epiphany sometimes too, um, which is also not a surprise because the two times that we have ritual fires in the church year are epiphany with the new fire. Um, One of my favorite traditions of a internship congregation is they would save the natural Christmas trees from Christmas and burn them at Epiphany outside. And so, it went, you know, it wasn't like a campfire. It was a bonfire.
0: Yeah. Epiphany is like the 13th day after Christmas when we celebrate the Magi getting to Jesus.
1: Yes. Yes. So it, just enough time for that tree to dry out and get a good, nice uh, Real crispy. pine burn. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but that that connection between fire and water is something that within the Christian tradition is, there's this interplay, right? Within our tradition, within Lutheranism, there's this idea of tension and that fire and water are not positive. One is positive and one is negative, but that they both have value in appropriate context, right? Like fire is yes. something that can purify or burn. Water is something that can bring life or take life, right? Like these are things that are, that are real about those seemingly disparate substances,
0: Yes, and how we need both to survive. Yes, this is such a rich conversation.
1: We'll we'll, uh, give that credit to the spirit and not me. I'm fine with that.
0: Amen. She's the best. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Drew. This has just been such an encouraging and challenging and enlightening conversation to have together. And I imagine that, some of our listeners are going to want to follow up with you and perhaps even learn about your forthcoming book. So would you mind to share a little bit about how folks can connect with you?
1: Sure. So you can find me on social media. I am on, because I'm an old person, by which I mean, you know, I'm a, a very established millennial. I'm not, you know, I'm not on TikTok. Thank God for the other pastors that are, because I just, I can't add another one to my life. Uh, uh, You can find me on Twitter at Friar Tuck Tweets, Uh, the the story behind the upcoming references to Friar Tuck. There was a season of life that I was very obsessed with Robin Hood and the Robin Hood story. So Friar Tuck was just, with a last name like Tucker, it just just seemed to fit. So Twitter, Friar Tuck Tweets, Instagram, Lutheran Friar Tucker. You can find me on Facebook, either at Drew Tucker, or if you do Facebook.com and then slash andrew jacob tucker from there. Um my website, which is updated somewhere between less than it's deserved to and not nearly enough, um and yes, that's really the same thing, is uh com, And uh if you ever have interest in connecting for professional things you know I do everything from teaching classes and so you know if you're interested in youth and young adult ministry kind of stuff I do some classes on that I do some speaking and some consulting in youth and young adult ministry campus ministry vocation Um, I'm actually speaking at wild goose here uh in about a month um actually so if this is coming out around the 15th and a couple weeks after that uh, I'll be speaking at the Wild Goose Festival so if you're going there catch me there i think i'm a friday morning slot um but yeah just just really i'm passionate about the real key to my work right now with vocation is helping people differentiate between identity and vocation Because so often people get caught up in this idea that we are what we do Um, Mm. and that there's a connection there for sure, but we are not just what we do. It's an overlapping Venn diagram, it is not one circle. And so we have to be careful not to just define ourselves by I am a person who is a pastor, right? Great. But if I'm not a pastor anymore, that doesn't mean my identity is lost. That means my vocation has changed. That's something that has been really dangerous i think for a lot of people with mental health and so we need to do a lot better on that so that's that's the reason i'm i'm passionate about that kind of work and so if that's interesting then we should definitely connect
0: wonderful and we'll be sure to share updates about the book as it becomes closer to release time
1: yes i'm i was actually just emailing with my publisher earlier today about uh some edits and we will uh As soon as I have a pre-order link, I will definitely get that out to y'all.
0: Oh, we would love it. We would love it. Well, thank you again, Drew, for taking time to be with us today. And I hope that you get to have a conversation with your dad around the fire while you're still there at the lake. One more before you have to go back to school
1: this fall. Thank you. That would be great.
0: prayer for going through. You are the God of the water, the source of life. You are God of the fire, the energy of life. This life is marked with times of going through the water and through the fire. Times of rest, rejuvenation, Sabbath that nourish us for the road ahead times of intensity that consume our focus, energy, and resources. Make your presence known to us as we go through these places. Give us companions for the rest and rigor that show us your love and grace. And even if the journey through does not go as we had hoped, remind us of your endless mercy and hope for a new day. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. If you heard yourself or someone you know in these stories today, we hope you heard God too. We love to hear from our listeners. You can subscribe and leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at All Places Together. And you can always email me at allplacestogether at gmail.com. That's A-L-L-P-L-A-C-E-S. T-O-G-H-E-T-E-R at gmail.com This week we loved hearing how much kathy Ann learned from last week's podcast. She wrote, Abolition in our present day. I learned from Elle Dowd about changing my perspectives on understanding and caring for others. I especially liked Elle's take on parenting when a child makes a mistake. Thank you for sharing what you learned with us and the world too, kathy Ann. To continue to see All Places Together grow, you can give through our website. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give to All Places Together and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. Each donation over $5 will receive one of our stickers. Also, there will be a special donor event at the end of August that will launch September's podcast series. If you want to be sure you're on the list, donate today. Thanks to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and people like you. We know it can be hard to give financially. We celebrate all the ways that you share the stories of all places together with the people in your life. Who is someone that you have those fireside conversations with that Drew talked about? Who is that someone that helps you process when you feel like you're going through the fire? Share this podcast with them to let them know how much your conversations mean to you. And until next time, remember that God is with you and loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.